Now we're going into the world of humans in general and uh, just why we do what we do. And uh, I am a spiritual person, I am a Christian, um, and I do like to talk about faith and love and everything in between. So um, welcome to Carrie Lloyd Podcast. The beauty and the importance of nobility. And I actually feel... I love that. As soon as I said nobility, everyone goes, nobility. So that's why I took it down on my notepad. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I, um, most of you know, I was an atheist back in the day, and um, uh, I was often dissuaded from coming back into the church because I didn't see a huge amount of kindness. Can I say that? Yeah. Didn't see a huge amount of kindness. I was seeing a huge amount of religion. And the most noble people that I noted in my life were not Christians. A lot of the time I was seeing a lot of Christians run to the church and I could understand why people were accusing Christians of using faith just as a crutch. It's one of the major things that the new new atheists love to argue about. It's just really a coping mechanism for life and they can't survive without it. Which used to really anger me as I became a Christian again because actually when I started to really dig deep into the brilliance of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he was the most noble man that ever walked the earth. And so I became fascinated with the substance of his kindness. Now, I just want to ask you a question, though. When we talk about nobility, what does the word noble mean to you? Just shout some things out. I'm intrigued to know your thoughts, because you'd be surprised how many different answers people give. So what does nobility mean to you? Royalty. Royalty. Yeah. Integrity. Integrity. Respect and honor. Respect and honor. Character. Character. High standards. Being like Jesus. Being like Jesus. Excellent. Honor. Setting a standard. Humility. Beautiful. The definition of nobility has two main reasons, but all the things that you just shared is actually involved in that very word. I think one of the reasons why we're losing the sense of nobility in this day and age is because we actually don't know what it means. And we don't necessarily, we haven't really structured a teaching to go, actually, this is, this is a very important intentional part for you to manage yourself in this day and age. Um, we have many characters in the Bible, but obviously Nehemiah, Daniel, all these brilliant people that were able to face a huge amount of adversity with such nobility. But we don't, oh, I knew it was going to start doing that. We don't realize just what actually can start to take place in, um, in our decision makings that we have for adversity, we have the easy path and the right path. <laughs> and often they're opposing. So a lot of the times what you see is Christians run to the church, they're rescued by their salvation, everything's going to be easy now. And then they complain or question the kindness of the Lord when something doesn't go right. We think that the, the favor of the Lord is part of his kindness. Sometimes it is, but favor isn't always from the Lord. Favor sometimes can be a distraction. And sometimes when we're facing a lot of doors that are closed, we think, therefore, that the Lord's not on it. Some of the most important doors for you to open are the ones to bash down. And so I think, I think it's very important to talk about nobility. Bill touched on it yesterday in this session, which I was very grateful for him for gave me a lot of information um, that I hadn't noted down. Um, <laughs> but the two definitions of nobility, one is actually based on if you were born into an aristocratic um, family, 
if you're a prince, if someone of a, a noble um, upbringing or inheritance of wealth and riches, you are considered a noble person. You didn't know you weren't necessarily a kind person, but you were given an established status of nobility. That's one def definition. The second definition is basically someone that has um, a high level of moral standards that's higher than the normal expectation, and it's normally involving the elements of courage, generosity, and choosing the hard path. Often when we're thinking about um, particular social justice people, you think of Martin Luther King, William Wilberforce, um, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, those people are often noted as noble people, um, but it's often attached to social justice and uh, fighting for humanity. A lot of the times those people have been noted as noble is because of the amount of hard accomplishments they went through. And sometimes I think we all know what the right choice is. It's, it's come somewhere in us. We know when we've made the right choice and the wrong choice. There is a conscience, unless you've completely deadened yourself to numbing yourself in pain, <laughs> then obviously your radar's kind of off. But if you're alive and able to process pain well and have an emotional health that looks at what's right and wrong, your moral compass will tell you when you're making the right choice or the wrong choice. And nobility comes into that crossroads. There's a brilliant scene. I don't know if anyone has anyone watched *The Scent of a Woman*. It's a it's an old 1980, 1992 Al Pacino film. And uh, I've not seen it personally. Um, <laughs> that's nothing to do with this topic. No, it is. Um, so I I basically spoke to um, a friend of mine about this topic, and he said, "Have you, have you ever seen that speech in *The Scent of a Woman* by Al Pacino?" And uh, just to give you a quick synopsis, there are two students that basically commit an incident, and one student chooses an integrous point, which gets him into an awful lot of trouble, because it's seen as something different than what he actually meant from his heart. And the other student covers the incident and tries to pay it off with a wealthy father. The student that did the integrous decision was actually very poor and on a scholarship. Now, in this particular scene, Al Pacino has basically been served by this very integrous student, and decides that because this kid has no money to help and um, guide um, this particular sort of hearing that's happening in the middle of every, in front of everyone in school, um, they decide the best thing to do is he comes in and starts to fight. So there's this beautiful scene where the headmaster is basically the sort of court judge in this particular scene, but Al Pacino interrupts. And I actually just, I watch the scene and I'm like, oh, this is a perfect example of what nobility actually is. A perfect way of explaining this. So he says, if you think you're preparing, and so he's saying this to the headmaster, this is Al Pacino speaking on behalf of the student, speaking to the headmaster, he said, if you think you're preparing these minnows for manhood, then you've got a sham on your hands. Creators of leaders, be careful what kind of leaders you are producing here. I have come to the crossroads in my life. I always knew what was right, what was the right path, without exception. I always knew, but I never took it. You want to know why? because it was too damn hard. Now here's Charlie. He's come to the crossroads, he's chosen a path, it's the right path, it's a path made of principle, of integrity that leads to character. Let him continue on his journey. You hold this boy's future in your hands, committee. It's a valuable future, believe me. Don't destroy it, protect it, embrace it. It's gonna make you proud one day, I promise. And there's something so wonderful when I hear it's gonna make you proud one day, it's the Lord. Doing that in moments where you're choosing the most difficult decision. 
the last thing you want to do is to make the right decision. It's too hard. Sometimes it's too hard. And before Bill was talking about nobility yesterday, I said to him, it's not just a choice. It can't be just a choice. If it was just a choice, most of us would be making noble decisions. It has to come from something guttually inside of our identity that we're not appeasing to the person in front of us that's causing this harm. It has to go above and beyond. So when you're watching Nehemiah stand in front of the king, most time you're pretty intimidated, especially in those days. Age. The king in front of you is a very intimidating power piece of the puzzle. You could be dead in a moment if you wanted to be. But Nehemiah felt the grievance of the Lord over the city, saw the grievance of the Lord, and decided to fight for that through and around the king in front of him. So the king's like, why are you so sad? My heart grieves over the city. And if it's all right with you, he managed to honor at the time, but actually opposing what was going on with the city. It's a pretty uncomfortable conversation to be having, but there's something so powerful about watching someone that you would expect to buckle down in front of a king. And the same with Daniel. This is why Daniel was so powerful. He made noble choices. He said no at the most important moments. Nobility comes with huge amounts of boundaries. I think sometimes when we listen to noble, we think that this is something that we therefore get walked over. It's, oh, we'll just turn the other cheek and just lay lie on the ground till they're done. <laughs> Actually, no, we turn the other cheek. But sometimes, JT was, my student was in ES and he was asking a question of like, how do I... How do you navigate relationships with people when you're trying to be noble but you actually feel like they're constantly walking all over you because of your nobility? How do you make sure you're not being taken advantage of? Well, actually, nobility says, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that anymore. And nobility sometimes actually stays in it and waits to see if this improves. If it doesn't improve, if the relationship doesn't improve based on the standards that you're bringing to the table, then that's okay, you just have a sense of distance, but always with honor and always with love. One of the things that I wanted to make a really clear point about is though we sometimes look at the Martin Luther Kings and go, oh, well, they're, you know, they did great things, so that's obviously what makes you noble. No, a, noble a nobleman could be next door to you. And I was talking to my mother about who are the people in your life that you remember being very noble? And um, my mother said, I always remember Jack and Audrey. Jack and Audrey were this lovely couple that used to serve my parents in their old church in Manchester. And they were pretty poor. Manchester was a very poor area, um, and specifically the place that we were living in. And we had this, um, we had this situation where basically uh, um, there were, the elderly were very much left out and outcast by the government. Um, they were given a, a small amount of money, but enough, not enough to survive on. Probably about fifty pounds every two weeks. That's about thirty dollars a week. So um, to survive on that, pretty pretty difficult, as you can imagine. So Jack and Audrey used to find these moments of um, social needs, would feel the grievance of the Lord, and then fight for it, even if it was an unpopular choice, even if it would cause their time and sacrifice and service, um, almost to, to the point of burnout. But they always knew that if the Lord is grieving on us, he'll give us grace to manage it. So <clears throat> they designed this little lunch club, and basically these elderly um, people would be picked up by Jack and Audrey and they'd have um, lunch at their house and play cards. Just a sweet little thing. You can do anything like this very quickly this week if you wanted to and build stuff within your own neighbours. I'm just saying, you don't have to make a big song and dance about it. You can just start getting going on these things. These are noble acts of 
where's the need and what do we need to start changing. This one particular woman was coming pretty much every week and um, she'd been coming for years. And Audrey, one day, she's outside her house and ready to pick her up. She's probably in her 80s by this point. And there's no, she doesn't answer the door. And so Audrey just waits with a bus full of people waiting for her to come forward. No, no answer at all, but she waits for half an hour because she says this is really unlike her not to answer the door at this particular time. She was there on point every, every single Monday. She waited for half an hour and finally the woman came out very, 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 very nervous. And she came towards the window and she spoke to Audrey and she said, I didn't think you'd be here today. And Audrey said, why not? And she said, have you seen the front news of the paper? And she'd actually had a copy of the paper in front of her. And she handed it to Audrey. And on the front of the paper was, she still visits her son in jail. And it was a picture of this woman picking out milk bottle from her doorstop. And a paparazzi member basically taking a picture of this woman while she was taking milk out from her doorstop. This was the mother of Ian Brady. Ian Brady was, uh, if any of you Brits are in the room, you'll remember him. Ian Brady was, um, and Myra Hinley were two very, very evil people that basically had um, stolen young boys, done horrific things to them, killed them and buried them in the moors, the Yorkshire moors in England. It was the most horrific crime since the, since the Ripper. And um, they would record these tortures on cassette tapes. So parents not only had to deal with the actions that had been taking place towards their children and lost their children, but also they had recordings of it. It was the most evil thing, and Ian Brady is still in prison and um, will never get out. He's also insane, <clears throat> obviously. But Audrey said, of course I'd come and collect you. And she said, but, um, she said I, I didn't know what to do other than, he's still my son. And even when she goes to visit him in prison, he doesn't come to her, but she still tries. It's, it's the prodigal son story flipped on a very evil way, but the mother keeps waiting and the son never arrives. It's a pretty noble act. And with that nobility and with that act alone, Audrey said, of course I'll come to you. And of course you're still in our life. She said, no one talks to me other than you. But this is the tough part. The parents of the children were being pastored by some my, my parents. So my parents were counselling these very grieved parents that will never get over that kind of crime. And yet Audrey was helping the mother of the very culprit that was creating these crimes. So you now can understand that the, this becomes a very unpopular choice. And Audrey suffered an awful lot of backlash and rejection from the church itself. So you can, obviously not for my parents, but this was a journey of, now I've chosen to call the lost and find the rejected and bring them in. The church is supposed to be the very final place where the most broken people come to. And yet what saddens me is that the church is often the first place to reject because of religion. If we kept on guard with nobility, if we actually made noble choices, how many times do you see someone who's made a quite a dramatic fall in any kind of ministry or church, who's the first person that becomes their friend if they're not friends already? It's normally Bill. And it's a very unpopular choice. A lot of times, uh, Bill will get an awful lot of backlash for befriending someone that, that might have caused a lot of hurt. And yet, what I find so fascinating is when Bill is facing that kind of adversity, 
the kindness that he chooses, the right path that he chooses, despite the fact that it's the harder path, is where I feel the presence of the Lord on him the most. And I, it, I, the reason why I feel it the most is because it's so rare. But I want you to be a class that chooses the harder path. I want you to be the class that chooses the harder decision. Let's try this one. Hello, hello, is that working? Yeah, yeah. do you want me to oh, turn it up? It's a bit quieter. If it's a bit quieter. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Brett. So, <clears throat> I wrote a few things down. And I wanted to, um, I just wrote some sort of lines of what I thought was really important to sort of navigate how to do this right, how to do, take the right path, and how to take a noble choice. Because in Isaiah 32 it says, a noble plan makes noble plans, and by noble plans he stands. But that's a great verse, but I, it, it doesn't, what does that actually mean? What do noble plans actually mean? Well, sometimes it takes a committee to make those decisions, um, making sure that it's reliant on the word. Um, sometimes we, we think we start fighting for something the Lord's grieving over, when actually it's what you're grieving over, and there's a difference. So you have to make sure that you are actually lining up with what the Lord's grieving over, not what you're grieving over. Does that make sense? Okay. Some of these might sound a bit tough, but um, hear it from my heart of love for you. Take ownership. Quit blaming your mum or circumstances for dropping the ball. Don't always justify yourself when you've made a mistake. Ask questions and take it on the chip. Serve with no expectations and serve like you mean it. Remember your destiny in order to focus on the right thing. Pick your battles wisely. Does it grieve the Lord or does it grieve you? There's often a difference. Great accomplishments occur so often on great hardships and that's actually the point. Ensure you have a tough mind and a tender heart. You can't have one without the other. And actually, Martin Luther King talks about this a little bit in, um, I don't know whether you guys have read Strength to Love by Martin Luther King. Oh, if you haven't, you must. Oh, I've got reverb going. Um, and what I find lovely about what he talks about is the softness of a mind, especially in this current day and age, we've got a lot of political opinion, a lot of divisiveness, and a lot of it is influenced by experiences and feelings. It's not based on truth or fact. We're so easily influenced by press and um, half-truths, and that's often the culprit and the thing that causes racism, prejudice, battling, dividing apart. Martin Luther King talks about the importance of having a tough mind and a tender heart. And so I actually wanted to, rather than trying to paraphrase him, he's just such a beautiful orator, obviously, as we know. But I wanted to read out, is that all right if I read a little bit of his my tender heart, because I think some of this is actually important to understand for nobility. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. A French philosopher said, no man is strong unless he bears within his character antipathies strongly marked. The strong man holds in a living blend strongly marked opposites. The idealists are not usually realistic, and the realists are not usually idealistic. The militant are not generally known to be passive, nor the passive to be militant. Seldom are the humble self-service, 
I can't let me say that again. Seldom are the humble self-assertive or the self-assertive humble. But life at its best is a creative synthesis of opposites in fruitful harmony. Jesus recognised the need for blending opposites. He knew that his disciples would face a difficult and hostile world where they would confront the recalcitrance of political officials and the intransience of the protectors of the old order. He knew that they would meet cold and arrogant men whose hearts had been hardened by the long winter of traditionalism. It is pretty difficult to imagine a single person having simultaneously the characteristics of the serpent and the dove, but this is what Jesus expects. We must combine the toughness of the serpent and the softness of the dove, a tough mind and a tender heart. There is an almost universal quest for easy answers and half-baked solutions. Nothing pains someone, some people more than having to think. Which I kind of love that line. Nothing, I'm going to say it one more time. Nothing pains some people more than having to think. <laughs> this prevalent tendency towards soft-mindedness is found in man's unbelievable gullibility. This undue gullibility is also seen in the tendency of many readers to accept the printed word of the press as final truth. Soft-minded individuals are prone to embrace all kinds of superstitions. Their minds are constantly invaded by rational fears, which range from fear of Friday the 13th to fear of the black cat crossing one's path. Don't even get me started on Los Angeles. There, he didn't write that. I said that. <laughs> that new age, that new age situation going on at the moment down there. Um, the soft-minded man always fears change. He feels security in the status quo, and he has an almost morbid fear of the new. For him, the greatest pain is the pain of a new idea. Self-minded persons have revised the Beatitudes to read, Blessed are the pure in ignorance, for they shall see God. <laughs> there is little hope for us until we become tough-minded enough to break loose from the shackles of prejudice, half-truths, and downright ignorance. The shape of the world today does not permit us the luxury of soft-mindedness. But we must not stop with the cultivation of a tough mind. The gospel also demands a tender heart. Tough-mindedness without tenderness is cold and detached, leaving one's life in a perpetual winter devoid of the warmth of spring and the gentle heat of summer. What is more tragic than to see a person who has risen to the disciple, disciplined heights of tough-mindedness, but is at the same time sunk to the passionless depths of hard-heartedness? I think it's very important to understand that one of the reasons why the church is in such a, well, has been in such a journey, and I think we're getting better at it now, I really do think this generation is actually doing something pretty profound, and there's a reason why revival is starting to come back in Europe, and it's because this toughness, woo, <laughs> there's this tough-mindedness that happened with, with ourselves in Europe, we were very crushing, and we were very disciplined, and didn't like feelings because it was emotionally expressive, and weak. And um, that's why I came to America. And uh, you allowed me to have emotions, thank you. Um, but one of the things that I think, it, it became very religious, even if there were atheists in England that hated religion and all it was, well, they were as religious as the religious folk. They just didn't see it. So there's something really powerful about watching um, the hard-heartedness of someone soften to a place of compassion. It's where you find nobility it's where you make the right choice because somehow the Lord gave you compassion for the culprit in front of you that did the most heinous crimes. 
And I'm telling you this now before you go, because one of the things that I started to recognize is when you do start to have a voice, when you do start to fight for things, you will have persecution. Of course you will. You were given a heads up 2,000 years ago. Go about that one. I don't know why we complain about it when we have it. I don't know why we're not like the apostles that go, look at my scars! You know? <clears throat> when they get tortured, they found it as a sort of moment of, wow, I can't believe I would be honored enough to, or worthy enough to be tortured for his name. Why aren't we doing that now? <laughs> why aren't we sharing our battle wounds? We got scared. We came to the Lord possibly for the wrong reason. We came in the hope that it would be fixing us rather than going into the most important pivotal relationship you will ever have in your life. And one that will make you fight above and beyond. One that will make you fearless. One that will make you thrash down the doors of your destiny. And so what I want to see is bold, fearless lions. I know we need the doves. I know we need the wiser serpents. But I also want very bold lions that go, I'm doing the right path even if it's really hard. I'm doing the right path. I'm not going to cut corners. I'm not going to do shortcuts because that's not how my Lord works. He sees the details and he does it with integrity. And so I always want to find those moments of hardship as a state of opportunity to go, where am I going to find the glory? Where can I show the glory? How can I show your face in this? Sometimes some of the most noble moments are actually knowing not when to speak, but actually when to shut up. <laughs> and actually just taking action. Um, I mentioned this yesterday. My neighbours have just... Um, my neighbours are sweet grandparents um, to two gorgeous children. Um, one was 18 months old, another one was three. And every day I would see them play with them every morning. They took care of them. They were the full-time childcare. And... It was really a beautiful relationship to watch the grandfather and the grandson play. I'd come out to my car every morning, the little kid would be playing in the steering wheel. And he'd come and knock on my door sometimes. I'm like, oh, hello, Nixon, how are you? Nice to see you here. Anyway, I got a very short phone call from the grandmother um, last week, and not last weekend, week over four, and um, in tears, asking me to check if Jeff was okay. And um, yeah, basically, there was a tragedy that took place with the youngest one. And um, he was found drowned in a pool. And I've never heard the sound of wailing of a grandfather like that. It's the sound I never want to hear again. And sometimes we Christians want to find the opportunity to show the glory of the Lord in that moment. I asked if I could go down to the hospital and pray for him. Um, so I tried to, I, I opened, I, I pushed the door ajar, but gently, because you're dealing with very distraught people. And so I'm dealing very, therefore, with very fragile hearts. And so I'm, I ask the Lord for wisdom before I act on anything, especially with these ones that weren't believers. And they'd actually called me saying, I know you believe. Would you mind doing some prayers right now? I said, absolutely. I'm happy to. So that's, of course, why I wanted to see the miracle. <laughs> and I wanted to see the glory. And it didn't show up in the way that I'd hoped. But there was a beautiful moment where... Um, the first day when I seen the grandfather, um, it was a little later that day when this news was breaking out, and he was just in shock, and he, he didn't want to, he said, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Didn't want, you know, when someone hugs you, the last thing you want to do is cry. Um, so I went, if I can do anything practical, just let me know I'm right here, ready whenever you are. And um, the next day, 
I saw him again and this time it was breaking, it was kind of settling in what had happened and so he was crying. And so I just held him, just sitting out front of our apartments crying with him. And um, I'm, I'm really glad he didn't ask me why did this happen? Because I think we make some really heinous mistakes as Christians when we're asked those questions on the death of a child. Um, and I, I, all I know is that when I prayed to the Lord during that time, the most noble thing was to be silent and cry with him. And so I think sometimes we think nobility is a fix-it plan. I think actually nobility is choosing the right path even though you want to fix it. Sometimes you won't see the fruits of those decisions straight away, but it'll feel right. Mm. Never let pride get in the way of a noble move. Sometimes it's going to really suck <laughs> to do noble choices. Um, the adversity that I'm talking about, and the reason why I'm sharing this stuff with you right now is because when you start having this voice, I remember writing an article for Fox News about um, why I came back to purity it had been read by about a million people. And um, it was nice, but my word, the comments were not fun. And I didn't, I actually felt like this wasn't worth it. Wasn't worth it at all. The comments were, I had, um, you've got to remember, you see, I'm encouraging women to stop having sex. That's the last thing that men of that of the world want a woman to tell other women to do. So of course I got really attacked by men, not by women. Attacked by men, I was threatened to be raped. So I knew what a good time was. That's really hard to read. When it's right there in black and white from someone, a soul chose to write that to me. And I'm like, oh wow, this is a little taste of, of what noble moves are like, I'm out. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to do was to start fighting for the grievance of my Lord. And so I run into worship that night and I go, you've got to be joking. This isn't worth it, surely. And he said, but you're never going to see the fruit of the choices that you made in this moment. This is what he said to me. You're never going to see the fruit of what that article has done. But I will tell you this. If you knew that one girl decided to do what you've just done, wouldn't you do it again? And I went on to it a thousand times over. The problem is I never got to see the fruit. And so it's easy to back out because you don't see the fruit. You're constantly testing. If you're testing your noble moves with fruit, you're probably going to back out pretty quickly. It's, it's, it's not a test. It's not just to see if something works. That's control. <laughs> sometimes when you're making these noble moments, sometimes you'll forgive someone. Sometimes you'll be really kind and someone's never going to apologize to you for what they did. Sometimes they're never actually going to, nothing's going to get fixed sometimes. Sometimes it'll never be restored. Sometimes there will never be redemption because the Lord created this beautiful thing called free will. And unfortunately that means you have to let them make their own choice. When they come back or they say sorry, or when you go back and say sorry, it's a gorgeous thing. It's a beautiful moment and you can feel the presence of the Lord in those moments. But sometimes it don't come back. But you know what? When you look back on that situation, on that circumstance, you can look back and go, but I made the right decision. And I don't regret how I acted towards that person. Nothing worse than feeling like, oh, I could have done that better. <laughs> so, Apologize even if you think you have the right. Even if people take advantage of your apologies, apologize again. It's fantastic nourishment for the ego. <laughs> Forgive your enemies. I love that line from Oscar Wilde. Forgive your enemies. 
for nothing annoys them so much. <laughs> yeah, um, don't sell anyone out to buy your future. Take correction and never defend yourself. Make no assumptions on how someone is feeling. Assume they know much more than you do. Especially when preaching the gospel. I could feel that. Never uh, Make no assumptions on how someone is feeling or what they know. Assume they know much more than you do. Especially when preaching the gospel. I've been preaching the gospel to so, from so many random strangers as if I didn't know it. You know, those kind of moments anyway. Noble, noble decision making is having respect for the other person in front of you and they've actually lived a life, they've experienced things, even if you think that you know. Sometimes I think we can get a little puffed up leaving Bethel. We've done two years, three years of Bethel school means that you do the equivalent of 26 years of a two-hour church service every Sunday. You can understand why we think we know everything now. <laughs> the more you stay here, the more you realize, the more you learn, the, you, the less you know, if that makes sense. But some mathematician worked that out. I don't know how they worked it out, but I was quite impressed with that statistic. I felt very proud. Um, <laughs> I put here, um, the noble choice always makes you proud in the long run. The short bursts of reaction never feel good to reflect on. Never manipulate, for when you win, you will always question if you won the fight for the right reasons. Did you wait? Well, that's good, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> that's the first thing you've written down. <laughs> oh, finally a good one. Great. Thank you. Oh, I find the reason I'm here after all. <laughs> oh. It's all worth it. There was a moment, I, I, know, I just want to touch a little bit on that favour comment that I meant, uh, made, made earlier about favour isn't always from the Lord. Um, I went through a situation about a year and a half ago, I was going through a lot of health situations, so sinus infections, galore, fever, fever, fever all the time. My students from last year remember me being off for about four weeks, and that's brutal as an RG, that's a lot of backlog. And so... I uh, was really panicked, couldn't find any doctors around here, so I ended up going to Los Angeles, and my medical bills were going into the thousands. And um, my friend sort of set me up with a specialist in Los Angeles, and so I was sitting in this gorgeous, beautiful, palatial doctor's office in Beverly Hills, and I'm like, oh, Lord, how much is this going to cost me? You know? And it was like $450 for 15 minutes with the dude. You know? Welcome to America. And... Um, so, so I'm there sitting in the waiting room, and I start talking to this guy next to me, who obviously could afford it, and uh, we, we get chatting away, and he's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, everything was going so well until I'm about to tell you what I do for a living. Um, I said, I'm a pastor in Northern California. He's like, oh, right, that's the last thing I would have thought you'd done. I was like, oh, thank you. That's um, wow. And uh, so I had this wonderful conversation with him, and it's gone really well. And so I told him what I did. He said, do you really? He said, I said, what do you do? He said, well, I own, the, I own um, a recording studio um, back over somewhere in Los Angeles. And I knew the recording studio, Coldplay, Fleetwood Mac, all the greats who recorded in the studio. And so I'm like, that's awesome. He said, you used to be a messianic temple and we changed it to a recording studio. And I was like, that's awesome. So he said, if you want, you can come around and have a look at it. And I said, I'd love to come and have a tour. So I went around and had a tour. Fleetwood Mac were actually recording during that time, which is awesome. I love those, let's say. 
they're coming back together for, a, for an album. And um, so that was unnecessary to name drop like that. <laughs> Didn't mean to, but I just did. Um, but we go out for dinner. We had a little bite to eat afterwards, and um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm mentioning about we spoke about medical healthcare in America and just how incredibly expensive it is. And I probably got my bills now up to about four thousand dollars. And um, I just don't like being in debt. No, who does? <laughs> Raise your hands if you like debt. No. <laughs> so um, he said, well, I'd love to pay it off for you. Wow. Yeah. And I, and I was like, well, the Lord has shown up. Bless you, my child. And, um, <laughs> and then I just felt him go, no. Nope. Felt that from the Lord. No, nope, you're not taking it. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> I was like, ooh, is that the enemy disguised of the Lord? Oh, oh nice try, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to take this. No, no, you're not. You're not taking it. So it's like that. Definitely the hard choice. Definitely the hard choice. Make the noble decision, Carrie. So I go, you know what? As tempting as that is, I actually feel I'm not supposed to take your money. And he went, what? Yeah. And I said, yeah, I actually don't think I'm supposed to take your money. I know it sounds strange, but I, most moments of my day, I'm walking in prayer. And sometimes I looked a bit distracted, and I probably looked distracted then. But I actually felt like I wasn't supposed to take your money from God. And he went, no woman is ever not taking my money. Wow. wow. Come on, man. I went, yeah, I thought that was probably the reason why I wasn't supposed to take it. He said, you've never been looked at by a woman outside of your money, have you? And he said, no. And I said, I'm so sorry, but there's so much more substance to you than your money. Oh, so I started talking to his identity. And, um, pretty awesome. But it cost me $4,000. <laughs> Into your summer and go, that was an awful summer. You might, I'm not declaring it anymore. <laughs> but just in case, um, just go, wow, what a beautiful opportunity to find when the glory shows up. I think we've just got to be really careful not to um, constantly weigh our life on whether it's good or bad, whether it's going well or going bad. Um, I, I just don't think noble people are wired to look at how well their life's going. They're looking to push through to what can change the community around them, the people next door, the culture, the mindsets. And sometimes it takes a huge amount of adversity. You know, one of my friends, Erica Grieve, who is the head of Unlikely Heroes, had dinner with her last night and just talking to her about some of the, some of the stories that she goes through. And um, she's just pretty hardcore. I love her, you know. And when I first met her, I was terrified of her. And because uh, she's just on it. Beautiful blonde woman. You've seen her, right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, she'll sort of be, I'll, I'll, I was, I've been in the Philippines with her and I've been in another state in America with her, with dealing with them. She'll kind of bring me an occasion to deal with high trauma victims and um, of sex trafficking. And, uh, but she has to go and get them. That's the hard part. And um, literally there will be a team of people I can't, I really can't get my head around this, even to this day. 
she's walked through places that are so dangerous. Not only there are bodyguards, but there are there are bodyguards around her that will call themselves the bullet sponges. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. And so the operation of getting into a minivan just to go and collect these girls, and you've, she's got people all the way around her that will go right, the bullet sponges to the left and the right and the front of the truck, bullet sponges to the, to the back and the right and the left of the truck. And if there's a problem when we come under fire, then, then you need to go under the gearbox, Erica, to protect yourself. <laughs> that's kind of a hardcore, and that's a pretty selfish act. Mm -hmm. And so, nobility really does request life and death choices. We have it pretty easy. And so, um, are you up for building your muscle in your character that chooses noble choices before you face adversity? It's not, you can't make those choices in the moment. You have to make those choices years before. Because when you're in it, you're ready for it. Let's go. I remember having a conversation with Lila actually once upon a time, and I said I was, I was about to go to a slightly, you know, third world country, and I knew the risks were pretty high. And there was an awful lot of gang rape there. And, you know, I made a decision to actually, oh, it sounds interesting, but and I, I don't advise this, but I made a decision to take the contraceptive but in case I was. I wasn't going to let fear or things that could terrify me stop me from something that was grieving the Lord. Wow. I'm not trying to put myself in pedestal and make myself amazing, but that was just the grace that the Lord put on my life, that I was willing to go forward. And, you know, I was only on it for a week. Obviously. Um, I didn't need it, otherwise. Just so I'd be very clear. Um, so I think, just kind of wrapping up, I need us to get our heads around the favour of the Lord, the kindness of the Lord in moments, and taking away good events in our lives to be the kindness of the Lord. They are, they are, they are often, but it's not dependent on the circumstances that happen. Of course you know that, but I think sometimes we avoid making hard decisions in, for the case of nobility because we think that the favour of the Lord is on the easier road. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, we've got about 25 minutes left and I do want to leave some room for question and answers, but if any of you would like some more of that, would like some more of nobility, I want you to stand. Yesterday, Brett kept sitting. <laughs> Brett, Brett decided he didn't need any more. He was a naval man himself. He didn't need any more. Brett, come forward. Come to me, my friend. Um, yeah, Lord, I just I thank you for the souls in this room. I thank you for the hearts that have been longing to find you. They've gone to and fro the earth looking for you. Never mind you looking for them. And so I thank you for their diligence, their heart to want to know your heart, to want to reflect your heart and fight for the things that you grieve over. Lord, we don't want to see you sad. <laughs> and we want to shock you with our choices of nobility. Wow. We want to catch you off guard. Yes, God. We want to surprise you. <laughs> it's a hard task, but we want to surprise you. And so, Lord, I just ask for bold courage, for bravery the choice of moving forward regardless of the adversity in front of them. Yes. That they choose challenges because it's the noble choice. Mm -hmm. Lord, if there's any self-questioning going on in this moment, if there's any beating up of things that they've done before, 
if they're questioning, if they did anything wrong, or they're looking back at their history saying, I didn't make a noble choice, I didn't make a noble choice, I break that off right now in Jesus' name. You did the best that you knew, and you probably weren't modeled it, but this is a new day. Lord, I ask that you bring in a tender heart and tough minds, that they're not easily swayed, that they stay on their path when adversity hits, when influential people want to sway them a different way. Lord, I ask that they focus on you and they focus on your heart, that they know when is your favor and when isn't your favor. Lord, I ask in a world that's lacking in nobility that you make them the noble ones, that they become famous purely because they're known for being noble. Lord, I ask that Christians are the ones that are fearless, that are courageous, that are high moral standard, not to try and make other people feel less, but to be given hope that there is a new choice, there is a new option. And that's kindness, joy, patience, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. Lord, I ask you fill them now with a deep yearning for the secret place with you, that they build their identity on what makes you tick, not what makes others tick that they can stand in a crowded room and be completely destroyed by their words and nothing faces them. Because they see your heart at the end of it and they see you standing in the cloud of witnesses fighting for them. You shift the heart posture that when we feel conviction, we don't welcome in shame, but we welcome in an action point and a way to see your face. Sometimes we will not see this kind of side of you outside of the hard choices. So Lord, that I ask that you bring, like you did to me, the comforts and the boldness when we make the harder choices. And I thank you for the beauty of conviction because I always choose there to celebrate you. Lord, I thank you for these ones. And as they walk out of this room, they feel something shift and they feel that they actually can do anything. And it's no longer dependent on someone else's opinion, no longer dependent on fear of man stuff like we might used to buckle to Or, what if it causes more drama? That's okay, the Lord's got you. I promise you, he's got you. He's not going to let you jump up the cliff and not catch you. Yeah. So, Lord, I just... I love that quote where Mother Teresa says, the Lord never gives us anything we can't handle, but sometimes I wish he didn't trust us so much. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thank you that there there are people like that that set the path, that set the way. And make noble choices. Even when we're like, really? Are you going to trust me with that much? <laughs> Thank you for believing us more than we believe in ourselves. Yeah. Thank you for making us more resilient than we realize. Yeah. And thank you for the power of healing. Both in our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking into the Carrie Lloyd podcast. Um, if you loved it, share it. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Carrie Gracie, Facebook at uh, Carrie Lloyd, and Twitter at Carrie Gracie. Um, we do have a website which is CarrieLloyd.net, and if you have any questions of any sort, um, then you can just email me at Carrie at CarrieLloyd.net.